Welcome to day six. It should, it should actually be about to day 11, but look, who's counting? Day six is all about, uh, well, let's first of all, let's kick off, kick off with the sponsors of today's episode. Today's sponsor is Cafe Torino, right? Uh, and today's, today's uh, goodie is a uh, minestrone soup. Oh, snow outside. Ah, can I have some of your money? Minestrone soup, please. Hold on a wee minute. It's real minestrone as well. There's wee bits of pasta in it. Some tomatoes. Some green stuff that looks like wee bits of leek. I don't think it is leek though. It looks like it looks like peas. You know that pea shoots you get. What's like that? Mmm. Wee bits of carrot. Oh how nice is that? Wee bits of carrot. Oh, and a nice another wee bit of tomato. Well, I hope you can hear that. Uh, let's do a sound check. <clears throat> so, anyway, so this is for you, uh, Jason. Especially for you I'm gonna give you all the things I want you to do And have wings but I don't even wish the words to that song I really need to stop doing that Give you a wee back part of a song and then it's like Just the, the wrong words I need to stop that Oh, we get a wee quick, a wee quick hello to Sanji Lago as well Sanji Lago, by the way Is coming on the podcast Hopefully, soon and if you've not, if you're, if you're dying to see, dying to know who Sanji Lago is, uh, go on to BBC's, uh, CBB's, uh, and I guarantee you, he's one of the actors acting out a part. I've not even seen it yet, but I know he's a good actor. Uh, actually, me and him used to go to stage to page together. Me, him, and another lassie called Sarah. I think it was Sarah. Was it Sarah? I don't even know if it was Sarah's name. But anyway, it was through Fergus, uh, Big Fergus Mitchell. Who used to run Stage to Page, or it was part of the guys who, that ran Stage to Page, but it's in the CCA Contemporary to Centre, the Contemporary Centre of Arts, or the Centre of Contemporary Arts, one of the ones in Suckley Hall Street. So I don't know if it's shut down now, actually. Beautiful wee place, beautiful big place, actually. It had three stages, and you used to go, uh, and there'd be three plays, and each play would pick a stage, and you could walk in and out of each of the each of the plays being rehearsed. Now, you could also potentially be one of the actors. Uh, that was a good thing about it. You would go, you would see the the, the, the storyline, the actors, and you'd, put, you'd pencil your name in, right? You'd write your name on a bit of paper, and you'd put it in a hat. And they would pick out the names at the beginning of the of the day, and people were excited. And never ever, I always shot it to, to do a bit of acting. I, I think I could be a good actor. I think I'd be a really good actor. But I shat it. Uh, but it was good to watch. Very deep. Very dark. Some of the storylines. 
and uh, it was it was good to be part of and, and, and to be that guy you could walk in and out and just you could just sit and watch them rehearse it was brilliant uh, and then you would go to the next one and then the next one maybe they free them and then you would watch the three of them the three the three stories uh, with all the actors they would do it for 10 minutes it would be like a 10 minute 10 15 minute uh, play and then everybody would sit down and they would speak about each play for about an hour and a bit for, e- for each of them so it was a good wee, it was a good wee night good wee night good wee day very well very well done. There'd be scriptwriters there. There'd be directors there. There'd be uh, other actors. Obviously, aspiring actors. And yes, there was a lot, lots, lots getting done. So it was really good. I liked that. Bring back stage to page. And if your stage to page is still kicking about, let me know. It used to be the first Monday of every month. I think that's how you were. It was the first Tuesday of every month. I can't remember. Can't remember. But it was good. That's how I met San Diego. <coughs> San Diego now performance. Performance artist and theatre maker. So he does a lot of theatre maker. But he has been on CBBS. I, I need to find out where that is. I maybe maybe post that and maybe post where you can find them in the in the comments. But or the description of this episode. This episode being day six of why willpower doesn't work for long. Okay. So let's get ready. The alcohol experiment. Day six. If you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you want becomes the sacrifice. That was anonymous. Here we go. Let's kick it off. For our purpose, we will specifically define willpower as using conscious mental energy or effort to stop drinking or stop doing something like drinking or start doing something like Exercise. If you've ever tried to lose weight, stop gambling, or make your bed every day for a month, you're probably you've probably tried to harness willpower to get through it. Now, spending thirty days alcohol free is no different. It's only thirty days, right? How hard could it be? Well, here's the deal with willpower. It's an it's a finite, it's a finite and exhaustible resource. Willpower can only be defined as the ability to resist short-term temptations in order to meet long-term goals. Some people think it's a skill that can be honed and perfected. Or a muscle that can be built up and maintained. But... It doesn't seem to work that way. New research shows it's more like an energy reserve. And when the reserve is low, there's not much you can do until you top it back up. Why willpower fluctuates? Mark Moravin, an associate professor of sociology, at Case Western Reserve University wanted to understand why he had lots of willpower at certain times but not others. He conducted an experiment to prove that willpower was more effective when conserved (coughs) and that when taxed it could run out. Subjects under the guise that they were participating in a taste-based experiment, 
were placed in a room with two bowls on the table. One bowl was full of freshly baked cookies and the other was full of radishes. Half the subjects were told to eat the cookies and ignore the radishes and the other half were told to eat the radishes and ignore the cookies. Bummer for them, right? After five minutes, both groups were given a puzzle that appeared easy but not actually have a solution because the puzzle was impossible. Continually to work on it required willpower. The subjects who had previously used willpower to ignore the cookies worked on the puzzle for 60% less time than the subjects who had not used any of their willpower reserves. And there was a drastic difference in attitudes. The radish eaters were grumpy and frustrated and even snapped at the researchers. All decisions take energy. Every decision you make requires to expend a certain amount of energy. And that includes energy you might prefer to save up for exercising willpower. If you have a hard day at work and you've had to make a lot of decisions, your energy and willpower will both be lower. This is why it's easier to resist temptation early in the day. But by the time five o'clock rolls around, you just want a martini. It's exhausting exercising your willpower all day. There's also something called what the hell effect, which explains what happens when you abandon your quest for willpower. Give in to temptation and then, since you feel badly for giving in, throw caution to the wind and end up going overboard. You slip up and drink. Regret sets in. But since you've already had one drink, you think, what the hell? I might as well get drunk. No matter how much willpower you started the day with, by the time your your hour rolls around, it's pretty much gone. You might be able to muster up willpower for that evening. But what about when you get home? What about the next day? And the next? What are you going to do? Lock yourself in the closet for the rest of your life? Clearly, willpower is not the answer as your cognitive dissonance around drinking remains firmly embedded in your mind. As long as there are two competing ideas, to drink or not to drink, you will struggle and expend the energy trying to resist those subconscious messages using your conscious logic. But once you resolve that that dissonance and are of the one mind about alcohol, there is no struggle. There's no decision to make and willpower is no longer required. You can use it for something else. Like saying no to the piece of chocolate cake. Of course, you can use ACT technique to take care of your chocolate cravings too. Today, take out a small piece of paper or an index card and write down a few of the facts about alcohol that you now know to be true. 
Alcohol actually increases stress in the body. When I go out with my friends, I'm happy with a tonic and lime. I don't need alcohol to have fun. Then, keep that card handy in your wallet or cell, cell phone case. Whenever you feel yourself relying on willpower to get you through a situation, or you feel like you're, you're about to give in, pull out the card and read it. Calming the dissonance in your mind will do more than trying to grit your way through the situation. Day 6. Journal Questions Remember, all the wisdom you seek is actually inside you. The most important words in this experiment are the ones you tell yourself. Take some time to answer these questions in here or a separate journal, which is most effective. A voice memo to yourself or simply by speaking the answers out loud for only you to hear. Your experience willpower. Number one. Now, this is what you get. I a bit of paper or the journal. Number one, right? Number one. Your experience willpower. When do you have the least amount of willpower? When you are tired, bored, lonely, hungry, angry. These times make it harder for us to handle cravings. And studies show we are more likely to give in to these moments. When are these times for you? Be specific. The more specific you are in writing these down, the more aware you will be when they crop up. Number two, another piece of paper. Anchor your in your learning. Write down some of the things you have learned so far in this experiment. If you have doubts about them, write those down as well. By doing this, you are changing your mindset so that you will no longer have to rely on willpower. Now, before we get to act number three, let's look at some of the reflections from alcoholexperiment.com. I left work thinking I wanted and needed a drink. My boss has been a total jerk for a few days and it is not like him to be like that. Anyway, it's very uncomfortable. I am able to resist the drink and ride it out and I actually feel better. Alcohol does numb my brain so I quit obsessing about all of it. I may or may not talk to him tomorrow about it but not drinking is really my first priority. It changes everything for me. I feel better, look better, and more clear-headed, less anxious, foggy, etc. I could go on and on. Thanks, everybody, and thanks, Annie. And that was from Carol. Two things are going really well. Probably more, but these two are delighting me at the moment. Number one, I'm waking up with so much energy and I'm channeling it into all sorts of creative projects. 
Number two, I feel my mood lifting a little more each day. And I was convinced I'd lived the rest of my life under a cloud of depression and grumpiness. I'm welcoming back my silly, quirky, goofy self. I love that version of me. She makes me smile. And God love my husband for hanging with the cranky, grumpy version for so long. He's smiling more these last few days too. That was from Cammy. For a while now, I have been somewhat grumpy about the cognitive dissonance. I gave up alcohol for a bit, finding out more about booze. But then started again. The problem was that with my new knowledge about alcohol, I really did not enjoy drinking. I hated the hangovers and the anxiety that followed. I was even mad that by knowing more about alcohol, my drinking hobby, the thing that connected me with so many people in life, had been had been ruined for me. So I kept drinking. But this time is different. All that seems to have gone. There is a clear blue sky in my head. Not storm clouds. I can confidently say no to a drink. I know there are challenges ahead, but I am feeling positive about them. And that was from James. Right, let's get to act... Act number three. Now, act number three... Okay. Act three. Awareness, clarity and turnaround. If you're drinking to relax like I used to, uh, you are not alone. Relaxation and stress relief are some of the main reasons people drink. After all, who can deny that a few drinks totally relaxes you and relieves everyday pressures, stress and anxiety? There's a reason it's called happy hour, right? You can't use willpower to grit your way through and ignore the idea that alcohol relaxes you. Let's name this belief. Alcohol relieves stress and helps me relax. We watch people in the movies and on TV and all around us drinking to relax. There's a reason that happy hour starts at 5 o'clock. Work stresses us out. Money stresses us out. Our relationships stress us out. And stress stresses us out. It's a major contributor to many deadly diseases. For most of us, the pressures and the expectations of modern living seem out of control. And we're taught to simply drink our problems away instead of facing them head on. Clarity. So why do we believe this? When in our past, we have absorbed and experienced alcohol taking the edge of stress and anxiety. We could start with our parents and relatives. When you were young, did your mum or dad come home after a long day and immediately pour a drink? It's been a part of our culture since we were children. If not yours, 
What about your friends' parents? We certainly all watch TV shows and movies where the dad comes home and immediately grabs a beer from the fridge. Or the homicide detective talk over the case at a local bar. (laughs) As we grew older and went to college, partying was natural way to blow off stress from exams or a long day of, of lectures. We've seen people doing this in real life and there are numerous movies whose whole storyline revolves around a huge college drunk fest after final exams. It's almost inevitable that we started mimicking what we observed. Everywhere we look, society is telling us society is telling us that we have to do something hard. We need a drink to cope with it. So it's pretty easy to see where this belief might have come from. Take a few minutes to write down, right now, some specific instances when you observed or experienced alcohol being relaxing. If your parents drank after work, what exactly did they drink? And how did they behave afterward? What specific movies or TV shows do you remember watching where the character drank to relax? Try to pinpoint how and when you started to believe that you needed alcohol to relax. Now let's look at some internal and external evidence to help you decide whether alcohol truly helps you relax. First of all, Let's define true relaxation. What exactly are we trying to do with the stress and anxiety when we are experiencing in the moment? We are trying to get rid of it, right? True relaxation is the absence of stress and anxiety. It's not ignoring the stress or numbing it. Real relaxation removes it. Completely. To get to the point, or to get to that point, you must deal with the source of the stress. Talk with your boss about the problem. Rearrange your schedule to avoid a conflict. Or whatever it is is you need to do to remove the discomfort. You can't get that out of a bottle. A shot of tequila can't fix your marriage. It can only make you worry about it for a little while. It's true. You can equate that initial tipsy feeling with being relaxed. How long can you sustain it? 20 minutes? An hour? Drinkers almost never feel relaxed for a full hour. Because... As the alcohol is metabolized, 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 we'll say that again, we actually feel more stress than we did when we started. Alcohol leaving the body makes us feel worse. So what do we do? Have another. It's ironic that we drink to relax because drinking actually adds stress to our lives. I'm not going to deny that alcohol definitely 
provides an illusion of relaxation, especially at first. But here's what actually here's what's actually happening. That drink is simply numbing the scenes or the senses and slowing the mind for a short time. We truly don't care about our problems and we feel relaxed. But we're not actually eliminating the problem or concern. Instead of solving the issue and removing it, we are actually postponing it and prolonging the pain. Because we build a tolerance for alcohol, we need more and more of it and to have the same effect, which introduces a host <clears throat> introduces a host of stress-inducing concerns. How much did I drink last night? Why is my wife angry with me? What embarrassing things did I do or say? How am I going to get up and go to work with this hangover? How can my bank account be overdrawn again? This circle is the opposite of relaxation. It puts down additional stress and strain on our health, finances and relationships. And the more we use alcohol to numb our senses, the more alcohol we need. The more stress we add to our lives. After a few years of regular drinking, the stress can truly become unbearable. Think about it like this. The alcohol truly, if alcohol truly relaxed us, wouldn't we need less of it over time? So why do we find we need more and more to reach the same level of relaxation? If we drink to relax on a daily basis, shouldn't it be easier, not harder, to get that relief? Let's also look, take a look at the external evidence around this belief and what, what's actually happening neurologically when you drink. Your brain is a reactive mechanism. When you drink, it reacts to bring your body back into balance. Because alcohol is a natural depressant, your brain counter counteracts it by releasing stimulants, including adrenaline and cortisol. Guess what? Those are not only stimulants, but also stress hormones. Cortisol is released in stressful situations and has been linked to a higher risk of infection, mood swings, high blood pressure, fat storage, and even premature aging. Talk about added stress. Adrenaline is linked to fight or flight response, which is great if you're being chased by a lion. But in large amounts, adrenaline is also linked to insomnia, nervousness, and lower levels of immunity. Here's where the bad news gets worse. Remember that alcohol takes about a week to, co- to completely leave your body? So, if, you, if you're a regular drinker, you're, you're in a constant state of withdrawal. Which means, you have consistently elevated levels of cortisol and adrenaline. Which means, you're always stressed on a f- psychological level. Add on the everyday stressors of work, health and relationships. And it's no wonder that you want to escape for a little while. One drink 
and that the the anesthetic takes over, decreasing your senses and slowing your brain function. The more you drink, the less you feel, and if you drink until you pass out, you get to feel absolutely nothing for a short time. But guess what? As soon as you sober up, all those stressors will remain and then some. You made things worse, and the longer you drink to relax, the more the problems will pile up. And you'll be you'll be less sorry, you'll become less and less capable of handling everyday complications. Scientists studied this phenomenon with two groups of mice. One group was given alcohol for a 30 day period and the other was not. At the end of the 30 days, they were put through extraordinarily stressful situations and their their responses were measured. The mice that had consumed alcohol had a much harder time dealing with all the external stressors presented to them. The same was true for me. When I was drinking regularly, even the most mundane problems overwhelmed me. But once alcohol was no longer affecting my internal systems, I was able to handle without a problem. I know life isn't always easy, but when you drink, you're limiting your ability to cope. Everything you do feels so much more difficult. So what do you think? Does alcohol really relax you? Does it actually help you deal with stress and anxiety? Or is it simply numbing you out so you can ignore it for a little while? Understanding the root cause of your stress and removing it completely is the only way to truly, to enjoy true relaxation. Turn around. The opposite of alcohol relieves stress and helps me relax. Is alcohol does not relieve stress and helps me relax. Or alcohol adds stress to my life. Come up with as many as you can. The opposite is as true or as truer as the original belief. Get this. Join the Green Sunrise Podcast's £1.99 subscribers club and become part of a community dedicated to mental health empowerment. Your subscription not only helps sustain our mission, but also grants you exclusive access to bonus content, live Q&A sessions and a supportive network at just £1.99 per month. It's less than the cost of a cup of coffee, yet it's an investment in your well-being and a brighter future. Consider this, for less than the price of a bus ticket, you gain invaluable resources and support. Join us on this transformative journey. Your support makes a significant difference. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you thoroughly enjoy it and please feel free to share your thoughts in the comments. Decide on life. Thank you.